Jude 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Welcome back to the Blue Collar Berean Podcast with your hosts, Nate Penley and myself, Scott McGrady. It's good to be here again in the basement bunker. We're trying something new this week. <laughs> Got in the basement, so hopefully, I think at this point the kids are in bed, so we shouldn't hear stomping around <laughs> above our heads anymore. So yeah, this week, we wanted to start diving into the topic of apologetics. Apologetics. Apologetus. I should know, because I've heard James White many, many times explain the meaning of apologetus, and it's slipping my mind right now. Greek man sitting in front of me. Do you... Defense. Defense. Uh, to to um, defend. For a reason, for the hope that is in you. I'm guessing that defense word is apologetus? Yeah. Apology in there. Yeah. So, a uh, speech of defense. Defense... Reply, act of making a defense. Okay. <laughs> well, let's say we were going to talk about apologetics this week. Uh, start getting into that. It's a, it's a fun topic, a lot involved into it, and we're definitely not going to cover it probably in its entirety this week. But as you and I have talked, um, we definitely share our apologetical method, and it is one that is called presuppositionalism. I got it out. Without slipping up, presuppositionalism. Whether or not you remember the name for that probably isn't of utmost importance, but it is a, a very different apologetic from, I'm going to say, the rest of the other kinds of apologetics, because there's a lot of kinds out there. And generally speaking, the way I see them and as I've engaged with them, they all share a very similar worldview, whereas presuppositionalism is the one that has a very different starting point from everything else whether it be classical, evidential, epistemological. There's, there's, a, there's a bunch of different names and, and styles of apologetics out there. But often when we hear apologetics, based on popular Christian cultural movies, which I don't entirely recommend, they generally have a worldview that starts with uh, a viewpoint of God and man that I think are oftentimes erroneous. Uh, and they, they think we can reason, we can, we can use facts and logic, and we can convince them outside of Scripture, outside of appeal to conviction of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's like we're starting at ground zero and just following the evidence and wherever it leads. Now, the Christian's going to say, well, it leads to God, but we're just following the evidence to wherever it takes us. Sure. And, and while there's some truth to that, because the evidence does point to God, it's not saying it, it's not there. It, it does truly point to God. And I think as a Christian, as we look at this stuff, we should be encouraged to see that look at all this evidence we have for God. Look at all the evidence that is in corrobor corroborates with the scriptures. Um, there's, there's a lot of truth there. But the ability to find and see truth is something that honestly is given by God. And it starts with God and it ends with God. And so that has to be our starting point. Uh, when we come to apologetics defending our faith, and it shapes our worldview and how we approach things. Yeah, we're also not a judge over God. 
so our starting point is with God because we're not we're not standing over God as judge, coming to the verdict of of whether God's right, true or not, or which God is true, but we start with God uh, because He is the one who judges and He's the one who. Like you said, he's the one who gives us truth. He's the one who reveals to us. He's the one that allows us to understand. So I I have found, even though as I was really struggling with my faith a few years ago, I started in a very, uh, we'll say, average way that people approach this. They start digging. They start looking. And what do they look for? They're looking for evidences. They're looking for proofs. They're looking for some reason that they can hang their hat on at the end of the day and say, this is why I believe, because of this reason, because of this proof, because of this miraculous sign, because of this something. They want, they want to appeal to something as a, as a logical reason to believe. And as I searched and searched, I, I really struggled to find that proof. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find the evidence that says this is why I have to believe. Truthfully, that journey left me feeling frustrated. At the end of the day, at best, you can come with is you have all these evidences, you bring everything together, and you're left with your best guess. And for me, that really wasn't good enough. I I really struggle with that. Like, I I don't want just a best guess. Even if it's a pretty educated guess, you're still shooting at something you can't see. And that left me very frustrated, very empty at the end of the day. And I found part of the problem was, is I was searching in the wrong places. I was looking for evidences. I was looking for truth outside of God's revealed truth. Uh, and I, I, I really didn't find what I was looking for. Um, I know, I think this is a pretty common way that we come to apologetics, to defending our faith. We want to look for for these reasons that are acceptable, that make us not feel strange or weird or awkward. We want to be able to be respected by our peers, by our friends. And so, I mean, the easiest way to turn is for these proofs. And it's not to say that there aren't a lot of proofs out there. There there isn't a lot of good content. But if that's what we're hanging our faith on at the end of the day, if my faith is, is hanging on mere scientific fact or archaeological digs, often... As we look at these evidences, I find that we struggle to interpret them unbiasedly. This is where I think sin really has, has to be a major part of this conversation. When we come to apologetics, is because I found I had sin in my life when I was really struggling, and that sin really grabs a hold of you and makes you look at the facts in a way that gives you what you want. It really distorts the way you see the world the way you see these evidences. And so by default, I found that sin nature inside of me is is searching hard to find what it wants. My flesh wants to be free from God's law. My flesh wants to be free from having to deny myself, take up my cross to follow Christ. My flesh is always searching for that, and it's going to look at these evidences, and it's going to want to push back all the time, all the time. So as I've, as I've really looked into this, I found the only thing that really has given me a confidence in my faith is going to God's word, going to his word, his scripture, his revealed truth. And that is what has convicted me. That is what has really made the big change in my life to, to give me a confidence 
to give me the faith, to give me boldness wherever I go, that at this point, I care less and less what people think, and I care more and more what God thinks. I think that that is something that is somewhat infectious to other people when they see someone who has a fervent desire in their heart to serve someone or something, that can be very contagious, and it gives me a boldness about it. So that's kind of a little bit of my, my personal story mixed in here with where we wanted to go. I'm not sure I really meant to go on that tangent there. But as we talk about these worldviews and how we, we see things, I kind of wanted to give a foundation for a worldview. And we talked about it starts with God. He has revealed truth. I find as I talk with people at work, family, friends, whatever, that most people, I say the average person that I, I've talked with, can admit that they believe there is a God, there is a higher power. They believe just the fact that mere matter exists is proof of a creator. And so they'll at least admit that far. And then at that point I say, well, this creator has revealed himself. And I think generally speaking, we, we believe that. He has revealed himself. And that's where I try to push people to God's word. He's revealed himself in God's word. Because that is the one thing that is objective. When we try to appeal to experiences, we find it is very subjective. I find that that's where it's hard to distinguish truth. Um, because as we know from Romans 1, the heart is wicked, deceitful. It's suppressing truth. We know there's, we, we know there's a, God, a creator God. And I think most people too will admit they know that there's a moral law etched in to what God has revealed to us. Most people don't need to be told when they're doing right or wrong. They know it inside, even if they suppress that. Um, initially, they know it's wrong to steal from their neighbor. They know it's wrong to murder someone else, to take a life. They know it's wrong they, they know when they've done wrong. And so generally speaking, I find we can, we can get people to admit that they've done wrong and that there should be some kind of a payment for that. And I, as I push people to God's word, that is where I think we can find objective truth. So if people know or people have these understandings, then how come they can't get themselves to the place of God and truth? Well, I, as I say, our worldview is one that believes that God's revealed himself in Scripture. And scripture says that our sin has separated us from God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 3.23, correct? Okay. I always get a little fuzzy on the numbers. Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. 6? <laughs> Sorry. The wages of sin is death. This is something that we see built in through the whole theme of the Bible. Going back to Genesis 1.1, Adam sinned and it separated him from God. There is a consequence for breaking God's law. And this is true of all man, as we see from Romans chapter 4, as in Adam we have all died. And this is truth. This is objective truth. There is an objective law that God has given. We have broken it. That has separated us from God. And the consequences for that is eternal separation from God. And so that leaves us in a bad spot where we don't want to be. And so we're, in Adam, we're sinners. 
Yes. And so we're naturally rejecting that truth naturally. And so that's, you know, as you look at Romans and Romans one, you talk about God revealing himself. Mm -hmm. So he's revealed himself, as you said, in his word, he's also revealed himself in creation. But so it's not that we're left to not know God or not understand. It's just that though we suppress that truth as well in our unrighteousness in our wanting of our sin. Right. And so, you know, even with everything that people may know, it still can't lead them to the true God on their own because by themselves on our own, we're suppressing the truth. Right. And that, that's why I shared what I did about, and I, I really kind of saw this firsthand in my own life, how when I was doubting, I found there was, there was sin entrenched in my life that was really grabbing at me hard, that was making me want to look for reasons to get out of that, that law, that burden, that weight that I felt. And I mean, I knew the truth, but still my heart fought against that. It wanted a way out. That's, I think that's evident of the way the human heart works. And that's true of all men and women. So since we're suppressing the truth, I mean, that brings us to our worldview, right? And so even as we have the different evidences or even talked about archaeological evidences or scientific evidences and... You know, you're saying if I, you know, you couldn't hang your hat on those things. You couldn't, there's, mm-hmm. you know, your best guesser. But why is that the case? Why is it that someone can take evidence and look at it and say, see, this shows me where evolution really is what it took place and how we got to where we're at. And it was the Big Bang or whatever it may have been. But yet, on the other hand, a Christian can take the very same evidence and say, no, see, see, this shows me there's a all sovereign and powerful God that put everything together. Right. That comes down to your worldview, um, and that's that's where the root word of presuppositionalism comes into play. We all have presuppositions that we're fighting for, that we believe, that we believe already. That's why the presuppositional apologetical approach is important, because it, it brings that to light. We often think we can come to these evidences as neutral people, and we're not. Presuppositionalism points out the fact that we're not neutral in the way we look at evidence. We, we are so prideful in thinking that we are, but we're not. We know, according to the scriptures, that we have tainted lenses through which we see everything. Our sin just ruins the way we can interpret evidence. And that's why I think you can see someone who has had that lifted from their eyes, they can look at an evidence and come to a different conclusion that the, everyone else is coming to. That's where understanding this worldview is in place. So when we are, I don't know if I want to get into sharing the gospel yet, but I think this is important when it comes to sharing the gospel, because there, it is easy to think apologetics is evangelism, but there, I think there, we need to distinguish the two, mm-hmm. uh, because apologetics really at its root, as, as, as we've read, is, is giving a defense of our faith. And there is a defense. We should be ready to give that defense to others, um, be able to stand firm in what we have. And I think that even giving that defense can be helpful to help some other people see the error in their way. But is that necessarily what's going to save them? Well, no, only the gospel can do that. Only the truth of God's word, of his plan of redemption and the work of the Holy Spirit is going to do that. And so that is that is that needs to be where we get to in our 
works of evangelism. But Nate, <laughs> why does it matter? I mean, everyone has their idea and understanding of God. Everyone, there's so many roads to God, so many beliefs. I mean, how can we really know which one is true? And why does it matter? I mean, they're all equal to each other, right? All of the different ideologies <sighs> and belief systems out there. It'd be nice if that was the case. Huh? Then we, this, this conversation would be pointless. It wouldn't need to have it. <laughs> Actually, I would argue it would not be nice if that were the case. <laughs> I, right. It would be chaos. Right. It would be absolute chaos. Um, it's so problematic on so many levels. But to start an appeal to the scriptures, God has given his word. He has given his truth, and it is very exclusive. When we look to the words of Jesus, what he said, Jesus didn't say that there are many roads to him. There are many roads to the Father. He says there was one path to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the only way to get to the Father and what, his, what he has done, to the redeeming work of, of his death on the cross to pay that penalty that we owed for our sin. And it's very exclusive. Very exclusive. And it, it only makes sense to say there's all of these, all these belief systems that are out there and they're all equal they all have equal weight and equal, and they're are equally true, and and that's a, a really common position for people to take. But it doesn't make any sense. You know, we talk about the law of non-contradiction, mm. where two opposing views cannot both be right. Right. Two contradicting positions cannot both be right. I can't make one assertion. I can't be both in your basement and not in your basement. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I can't do that. That doesn't work. And so when it comes to belief systems, you know, whether it's Islam or Buddhism or Christianity, uh, that have all of these contradicting beliefs, as one apologist explained, that to remain within logic, either one of them is right and the rest of them are wrong, or they're all wrong. That mm. They're the only possibilities. To say they're all right is illogical. Right. It does not make any sense. So as far as logic is concerned, it is intellectually impossible for them all to be right. So there has to be right and wrong. And when it comes to what we look at what the scriptures point to as right, that stands in contradiction to every other belief system. Yeah. And so it can only be the one right answer. Absolutely. There is an object of truth, and, and it has been revealed in scripture. And I do believe it, it is our responsibility to search the scriptures, to, to discover this truth. And I think that is, that is what we need to get to when we are trying to share the gospel, when we're trying to, I'm not sure convince is the right word, but to share the beliefs, convince people what the truth is, is we need to get to that point. And that's where I think some people often get apologetics and evangelism a little mixed up there, appealing to those evidences, those faiths. I don't think that should be the basis of how we share the gospel. We can certainly have that. When objections are made, we should be prepared. We should have those. But that's not what we're going to see change hearts. Yeah, when we're doing evangelism, we're not trying to win an argument. Right. We're presenting the gospel, which is the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, mm -hmm. and calling people through that to repentance and faith. And that's a heart change that only the Holy Spirit can accomplish. So our trying to convince them through apologetics is not really the goal in evangelism. Mm -hmm. The goal is to present the truth and pray the Holy Spirit does his work, that the Holy Spirit would draw them 
to Christ and that he would save them. Um, the goal is, apologetics is, the goal is not to save. Uh, like you said, we give an answer for the truth. We, we help people along. It can help people be thinking through aspects of Christianity and keep the conversation going. But the goal of apologetics is not the same as evangelism. Hmm. And I, I think this is why I have, after doing some, quite a bit of search and listening and, and searching God's word, this is kind of the camp that I've landed in. And it's because it is... It is the thing that changes. It is the thing that convicts. It is what what drew me in to Christ. As much as I looked for those those evidences, those the sciences, the philosophical reasonings, they just they don't give me that assurance. But as you look to Scripture, you see the worldview that Scripture gives us is the worldview that fits what we see around us. Right. I mean as we were talking about before, that we can look at the world and see that there is beauty and there is good in the world, and yet at the same time, almost paradoxical, there is sin and there is wickedness and there is ugly mm-hmm. in the world. Well, how do you have both those things in the world? How does that work? Other religions and worldviews try to sort that out, but I really think it's only when we come to the scriptures and see that this world was made by a good God, a holy God, and that's why we can see good and beauty in the world. It was made by this God who declared all of his creation good, and he made man in his image to represent him in this world, but man rebelled against God. Man sinned, and with sin came suffering and death and separation from God. So we see the result of that. You walk through Scripture and see man sin and see the wickedness grow in man and uh, what has resulted because of that. And so then you look into our world and you see that it, it fits, it lines up. This, this explains the world to us. It gives us a comprehensive worldview for what we can understand of what's going on around us. So that's that's important. And, and so as we see, okay, we start with God, that God has created all things, this one true God, and he has revealed himself. He has created us with the innate knowledge of his existence. We see that in Ecclesiastes 3.11, that he, he put eternity on man's heart. Yeah, right. And most people, I think, that I've interacted with, that's, always, that's something most people, I think, know to be true. It's self-evident. It's written in our hearts. We know there's a God. We know there's something we're accountable to. We know there's a law that we're accountable to. Right. And then he gave us his creation, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so Romans 1, Psalm 19, 1-7 talks about how God reveals himself in creation. But Romans 1, like you just said, mm-hmm. you know, we, we know that there's a God we're held accountable to, but we don't, we don't want that. No. We want our sin. No. And so Romans 1 is what tells us that. There's that war right. inside. So we suppress the truth in that unrighteousness. We mm-hmm. suppress that truth because we want our sin. Um, but that doesn't negate the fact that God has revealed himself in creation. You see, Paul says there in Romans 1, starting in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Mm. 
So again, we, we see those things. We, God reveals himself. Again, his, his attributes, his divine power and nature are seen in creation. We, I, I think we even see, you know, starting there in verse 18, the wrath of God's revealed against all ungodliness. I think we see immediate consequences even from our sin now. We look at the world and it's pretty easy. All you have to do is open up the newspaper, which, or click on it anymore. No one uses it, reads the newspaper anymore. But you turn on CNN, any any of the major news networks, and it's just it's just it's depressing. We see the results of sin every day when we walk out the door. The world is just riddled with sin, and it there we are paying the consequences of it. They're built into God's design. I think we can see that, and we know that. We know that that's that's the reason why the world is messed up because we have denied God, we've denied His His law, we've disobeyed it. And we're paying the consequences right now on earth. Now, there's more to it than that. There's also eternal consequences that are really a bigger fish to fry. We need to to think about those more. But yeah, as you were saying, you know, the divine attributes, they're they're all revealed. We know that. I didn't mean to derail you. (laughs) No, no, you're good. (laughs) And then we also, so he reveals himself in creation, reveals himself in his word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed. Psalm 19, verses 1 to 7 is how he reveals himself in creation. And then 8 through 14 is, is his word, his given word, his written word. And he's also revealed himself in his son. So we, we have God who has communicated. You know, he's not the deist God, you know, like the illustration goes that he's the watchmaker who makes the watch, makes all the parts, winds it up, and then lets it go ticking on its own without any involvement. He just shuts the door and walks out of the shop and never comes back. You know, that that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that is seen in creation that is clearly intimately involved in his creation. That this is the God who has revealed himself. And so if he's revealed himself, we, we'd expect that revealing to be infallible and inerrant, right? As yeah. you know, we've talked about this as we, we already discussed in previous episodes, if we can trust the Bible. Mm-hmm. I've heard a bunch of people quote this, but it's right and it's good, I think. You know, the Bible was written over a period of time of fifteen hundred years by forty different authors. Those authors some were kings, some were peasants, some were writing during times of war, times of peace, all these diverse placements and people of these 40 different authors writing the scriptures being having been written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, on three different continents, and yet there's no contradiction. There's harmony and unity in the scriptures, again, because we're starting with the fact and understanding that there is a God mm-hmm. who has revealed himself, and if he's revealed himself in this word, this word would be the word of God and therefore would be as we have it, true and mm-hmm. not contradicting. Yeah. So don't take our word for it. Search the scriptures and be a Berean, a blue-collar Berean. Join us next time.